0: Welcome to episode number 158 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about the current status of dust explosion safety in Israel. We're doing that with Mr. Shai Segev. Shai, welcome to the podcast today. We appreciate having you on. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to have this interview. Um, those of you that will have listened a few episodes ago in... Episode 48 and 49, we'll know that we did an interview with A.L. Sadak, also located in Israel, about analyzing electrostatic ignition hazards, and he recommended that we touch base with with Shai as well to talk about explosion safety in Israel, which is really the topic of this podcast. So I'm going to let Shai give his background in the interview. This is one of those episodes that we've had a number of times where we're talking about combustible dust safety in different regions of the world. So we've done that back in episode 89 with Kumar Raja Segaram in Malaysia about combustible dust safety there. Alan Tildesley in episode 10, way back in the podcast a few years ago on regulations in the UK, Nicholas Kitzhofer back in 24, understanding Chinese national standards for combustible dust, and Dr. Chris Bluer in episode 38 on New Zealand code of contact, code of practice rather, for combustible dust. So you can see we're slowly making our way around the world. We're we're now almost well, we're into our fourth year recording the podcast and we're here talking about Israel today. Those episodes, again, you can go get the show notes for those at dustsafetyscience.com slash the episode number. And the, the show notes for this episode will be at dustsafetyscience.com slash 158. So in this interview, we're going to talk through Shai's background, um, role in industries, what industries are located in Israel that that handle and generate combustible dust, what is the current status of dust, fire, and explosion safety? We'll call them regulations or the landscape in, in Israel. And what are some specific challenges in this region of the world? any recommendations that uh, that our guest has on Pass Forward in the future. So I think the best place to, to jump in, Shai, is just can you give some of your background in industries handling combustible dust and some of your work in this area?
1: Uh, I started uh, my career as a safety engineer at uh, Dead Sea Works. Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth. It's basically minus uh, 435 uh, meters below uh, sea level. And uh, the Dead Sea basically has a very high concentration of salts, basically more than 10 times the the concentration of uh, salts in the Mediterranean or in the ocean. And uh, the high concentration of salts basically is a good uh, starting point for uh, the chemical industry. And um, the main combustible dust where uh, uh, they manufacture their uh, molten magnesium uh, so we had the uh, magnesium dust, we had coal. So these were basically the two main uh, combustible dust there. Uh, from there, I moved to uh, FM Global Insurance Company. I have a uh, chemical engineering uh, background. So uh, eventually I became a SCR expert, special chemical risk uh, expert. And uh, there I also got um, a systematic training about uh, combustible dust. After uh, FM Global, uh, I moved to Teva Pharmaceuticals. I was the process safety manager for the API division, the chemical division, basically, of Teva. At the time, we had uh, 18 facilities wor- uh, worldwide, and the uh, combustible dust was a major issue with some several uh, fire incidents and a uh, small explosion. and We had a uh, real concern about uh, combustible dust, and that really who got me into the fine details of how can we prevent or minimize the likelihood of a, a combustible dust a explosion or fires. Today, I'm mainly a process safety expert. So uh, let's say combustible dust is one of uh, my uh, expertise, but I'm doing also other stuff as well.
0: Yeah, I just want to kind of reiterate a couple of things there. So I, I think you said you were working near the, the Dead Sea, was that?
1: Yeah, Dead that, Sea uh, is is basically part of uh, ICL,
0: Israel Chemicals. And just so people can get themselves situated, the Dead Sea would be, I believe, between Israel and Jordan? Would that be? Yes. Okay. It's,
1: let's say half of the sea is uh, in Israel, the other half is in Jordan. And both countries as chemical facilities that basically are based on the a uh, high concentration of salts in the Dead Sea Works.
0: And you said the industries there, magnesium and coal, I guess those are both kind of mining industries. Does that sound right?
1: The, the coal is basically a byproduct for the uh, magnesium. Okay. Uh, but the, the main industries there is uh, manufacturing uh, potash. Basically, it's almost uh, just taken from the seeds, a very high concentration of uh, potash, which is used as a fertilizer, bromine basically because of the, there is a high concentration of bromine in the water so uh, they do uh, electrolysis and uh, manufacture uh, bromine, uh, manufacture uh, chlorine and uh, various uh, kind of salts okay And of course uh, metal magnesium.
0: And from there you you worked with FM Global for the the better part of say five years or so and it's, it's interesting because Kumar, Raja Segareb his podcast episode, we talked about the role of insurance companies in global combustible dust safety. And he was talking about the role that specifically FM Global played in training himself in Malaysia on combustible dust. So it's, it's interesting to hear that similar kind of background from, from your experience.
1: I think insurance companies very not only in combustible dust, but in process safety as well. Because once you have um, someone from a loss prevention expert that basically goes... Almost every day to a new facility. And uh, after it gets a uh, good training for what to look for, and you see good examples and bad examples, uh, basically like a bee that uh, tastes a lot of uh, things. And you sees a lot of examples of uh, good uh, process safety uh, uh, culture, bad so- uh, process safety culture, good mechanical integrity, bad mechanical integrity, and as well as uh, explosion, dust explosion. Uh, good examples, bad examples. And uh, because he sees a lot of uh, industries, a lot of sites, he can basically give a lot of uh, good advice for the customers. As an outsider that sees the plant and get uh, some picture, good advices. And uh, b- before, basically, I joined Teva, I was auditing uh, them. And uh, basically, on my first day uh, on the job, uh, the vice president just called me, <laughs> gave me my uh, loss prevention report, and, and say now you're, it's your job uh, to implement it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that, that that's a really a very important role uh, because if you are a, a knowledgeable and experienced uh, insurance auditor or regulator that you know what to look for, and you come up with a good uh, recommendation or a requirement from uh, the site you can uh, significantly help to uh, reduce uh, losses, explosion, fires, and uh, eventually you can uh, save lives. I think that's... When you are in the role, you don't really get the idea of how important it is. But eventually, when you see it, you say, okay, I spent there maybe two, three days in a year, but uh, the uh, contribution was huge. Because mainly in small countries like Israel, sites don't really get the, uh, the advice from someone looking outside and giving them advice on process safety or and when you are uh, in a small country uh, you sometimes think you are good but it's it's not the situation you think you are in a credible uh, risk but you are far from being
0: credible risk yeah the experience of having an outside perspective i, I think of the saying you can't you can't read the label from inside the jar so having an insurance provider or a consultant or someone come in that's seen dozens of facilities that produce the same sort of product you do um, in slightly different ways and, and like you said, some some better than others, is it's an it's really invaluable to to be able to to understand the hazards and risks that are associated there and even just what options to you know address those risks are present. Can you talk a bit more about your role in the industry stay? You mentioned that you're, you know, a process safety expert. What I have you listed as the founder and manager of the Center for Loss Prevention in the Process Industries Limited in Israel. I guess, what other kind of work are you doing um, around combustible dust and even with other industries there?
1: Usually, it's not just combustible dust. It's uh, a risk analysis and uh, really getting to doing a HAZOP, LOPA, and uh, things like that. And um, combustible dust, I mean, especially in the pharmaceutical industry and chemical industry, uh, is a major issue. It's not usually a, a work by itself, but it's part of a, a more general or part of a, a bigger uh, picture that that needs to be addressed.
0: You mentioned pharmaceutical a couple of times. It's probably helpful to the listener who's you know very far from from Israel to know just what industries are typically handling combustible dust um, in in that region of the world.
1: Mainly, I would say uh, pharmaceutical. Uh, in Israel, there's a, a very uh, many com- companies, many pharmaceutical companies, and in the pharmaceutical companies, you have uh, a lot of um, combustible dust because you are, you handle mainly co- organic materials, and uh, it's very important. Really, the first is to, to understand the hazards to get the ideas of uh, uh, MIE, minimum, minimum ignition energy. Uh, KST and especially for uh, small companies, it's not straightforward. It's not uh, details that you can find in the MSDS, and uh, it's not some. Usually, it's not something that you learn in the university, and unless you got uh, a good training in uh, other company, you may be experienced engineer and uh, still don't understand the the risk of the the powder you are handling and powder charging uh, issues and stuff like that
0: that makes sense
1: and I, I see it from time to time uh, you know uh, small companies that still feed the powder to reactors without uh, closed systems just opening the metal and uh, throwing the uh, powder inside and things that uh, in let's say uh, good companies uh, things that uh, have already been gone from the world uh, years ago and this is something that you you don't learn in the university or and unless you get you got a good uh, process safety training
0: yeah that makes it makes a lot of sense and i'm kind of wondering i guess in terms of regulations are, are one thing what what's the current status of dust fire and explosion safety regulations but in if there is regulations that's good but if there's not as well what kind of incentives or influences are there in terms of combustible dust in israel just to kind of give the the, the listener an idea of what the landscape is over there
1: Basically, we have the Israeli standard, which is basically copy of the uh, IEC 679. Okay, with basically two uh, introductory uh, pages. W- one of the main things in the introductory um, pages is that uh, we-, we can also implement the NFPA, for example, NFPA for, for, uh, 499. So, uh, if cause uh, Israel uh, uh, basically receive uh, Products also from uh, Europe and from the U.S. Uh, basically, the idea of the standard that it can be, uh, that someone can use uh, both uh, materials, both uh, products. So basically, can have uh, the two zoning system, for example, two classification system in hand. The adoption of basically the two standards basically allow uh, the engineer, for example, to use the NFPA, which is more uh, descriptive. You have uh, pictures of the uh, zone. And the the distance, and if you have a big manufacturing plant, you can basically uh, take the NFPA and uh, make the zoning quite easily. And uh, in uh, places where you need uh, a more specific or in-depth uh, analysis, you would uh, basically do the calculations that are uh, uh, required by I six hundred uh, and seventy-nine. So uh, basically, uh, it gives a, a better uh, flexibility to the user uh, to use both uh, standards.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, it's it's good to see. I think, in in one sense, to allow different techniques and tools to be you know required. I, one, I guess, one question I have is: is anyone sort of enforcing that the standards of both are are met, or what sort of minimum requirements might be needed there? Like. Is it, a, is it a government enforceable regulation? Is there a, a workers occupational division that that does that, or is it more up to the companies themselves? Kind of how does that work?
1: It's basically a legal requirement, but usually um, the enforcement is quite. Uh, it's not as it should be. Let's say uh, it, that way. At least in my opinion, but uh, because it's a legal requirement, I mean, uh, once if something happens, then. Uh, uh, the owner of that facility should give uh, explanation why it's why it was not handled the way it should uh, should have been handled. But uh, I think that in Israel the uh, process safety enforcement uh, of the requirement is still not in the level of uh, the US, for example, or uh, the level in the UK. Still, uh, we have uh, a long way to go.
0: I mean, that kind of brings me to the the discussion of challenges. So you've mentioned a couple already that I'll, I'll sort of tick off. So The number of sort of parameters and and techniques in that can be quite high and quite specific for combustible dust. So you mentioned that training is not really provided in universities. It's hard to find parameters in in textbooks, so you you need to test the materials you're working with. So that sort of knowledge base might be an area of challenge. You talked about the, the enforcement of... The standards and, and that is another challenge. What other sort of challenges do you, do you see in your work on a, on a regular basis?
1: I, I think, as you mentioned, uh, training is a, a big uh, challenge. I think that most companies want to do the right things, but if you don't have the knowledge, uh, basically you, you you can't do the right things. Once you have the knowledge, you need the, the motivation to do the right things. That It's a, basically more a process-safety culture but the let's say the elementary thing is really to, to know or to understand the hazard. Then um, the, main, the, the second challenge that I see is the process safety knowledge. For big pharmaceutical companies, it's not an issue uh, to send their the powder, for example, to test uh, for a, an overseas laboratory to test uh, MIE and KST. Uh, but for smaller companies, that, that may be an issue. Again, it's a combination of also, a, in many cases, lack, lack of knowledge, uh, but the, the cost is not uh, trivial usually, and um, that's a, another issue. Cost-cutting, uh, sometimes uh, we have uh, cost-cutting in the industry, and uh, process safety in general is uh, uh, sometimes a candidate for uh, uh, cost-cutting, especially if management don't understand the risk involved with the uh, cost cutting that uh, they take. Another challenge that I think that is most relevant to Israel is the maintenance. I mean, uh, usually we get uh, uh, the zoning right, especially in uh, large companies, we get uh, the zoning right and the the equipment that is uh, suitable for the uh, required zone, but uh, we usually lack uh, in the maintenance. Usually the maintenance is in, inadequate. The maintenance team usually, or in, in many cases, don't really understand how to maintain uh, explosion prevention uh, devices. For example, if we have a uh, EXD equipment to understand the, the importance of the gap, understanding the failure uh, uh, mechanism of uh, uh, the equipment. And uh, basically many companies spend a lot of material in buying uh, explosion, uh, let's say, call it explosion-proof equipment, but uh, because of lack of adequate maintenance, uh, they they think they are protected, but uh, they are eventually uh, not uh, protected as uh, they think they are. And this is uh, a big issue. And uh, it's also part of the uh, training issue is uh, because of the geographic distance, uh, there's lack of uh, knowledge sharing. I mean, in the U.S., for example, uh, someone uh, leaving uh, Bristol-Myers and got, get to Pfizer, and this does uh, uh, because of the uh, uh, employees leaving and the entering uh, uh, sites, you have a good uh, knowledge sharing. If uh, one company does uh, something good, then uh, uh, it basically spreads uh, quite uh, quickly to the industry. Uh, in Israel, it's less uh, because of the geographic distance from Europe and the U.S., uh, the knowledge sharing is uh, more problematic and uh, it takes much more time uh, to share the process safety knowledge between, uh, between the different sized and the industry.
0: I got sort of a summary of five here. So uh, training, process safety, we'll say information and data, like getting materials tested may be feasible for larger companies and not for smaller companies cost cutting in place and, and that sort of eating into your your safety budget. Maintenance, which is always an ongoing thing. So we've installed the systems. How do we make sure they, they don't degrade over time, that they're still going to work? And then the spread of knowledge sharing and, and how that can be maybe slower in, you know, more, I want to say remote countries, but I don't think that's Remotes are pretty relative to word. We're all we're all remote. You're remote from me right now. We're we're pretty far apart. <laughs> I'm doing this interview, so smaller countries, yeah. yeah, smaller countries. But I mean, on the flip side, I would say like things like integrating both allowance of IEC 679 or NFPA standards. That's a pretty good thing, <laughs> and and something that other countries could learn from that haven't integrated that yet. So there's other you know there's other things that are also being done in a good manner that that we could learn from. And I know with ayal I talked a lot about his, his research and work in electrostatics. That work has been a, a big focus and effort in in Israel. And I'm not sure why it's, it's, it seems to be one of the hardest things you could possibly imagine to study on earth. <laughs> but uh, it seems like a lot of folks in, in Israel like to, like to do those hard challenges. So that's a good thing and a good contribution.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think uh, electrostatic is a, uh... Uh, basi- basically to overcome the uh, training issues we b- basically made uh, two things that uh, one is uh, we have uh, process safety training for process uh, hazard analyst uh, course basically it's usually for uh, chemical engineers uh, it's a 15 days uh, course in which uh, al gives uh, one day, day just about electrostatics electrostatic hazard because uh, I think that uh, if you are a process uh, hazard analyst, you, you must understand uh, at least the basics of uh, uh, electrostatics uh, to understand what's the brush discharge, what is the spark discharge and uh, things like that. And really to, to raise the issue if, uh, if you don't know. So at, le- at least to understand the, when you're doing a, a hazard analysis to understand the, what you don't know. Uh, the other thing is, um, and that's, that's basically a 15-day course uh, cover uh, uh, basically the HAZOP, the LOPA, the functional safety uh, aspects, explosive dust, of course. So I, I think that's a, a, a major issue. And another thing that we are doing uh, in part of the um, Engineering Association in Israel, uh, we basically give uh, every first, try, uh, first um, Sunday in each uh, month uh, a training about uh, process safety. Uh, there is always uh, a guest uh, lecture and uh, uh, i invite you know today we are all uh, a very small uh, world uh, after the covid-19 so if uh, anyone uh, wants to participate and uh, contribute from uh, his knowledge uh, to share his knowledge uh, experience uh, is more in process safety is more than welcome uh, uh, to give uh, it's usually one uh, one and a half hour lecture um, it it can be good and uh, really help us to promote uh, the process safety in Israel.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a great idea, and <clears throat> we'll have a way to contact Shai in the show notes at dustsafetyscience slash uh, one fifty eight. If there is someone out there listening to this and says, "Yeah, I'd really like to contribute," certainly dust, you know, we'd be able to, interesting contributing in in our capacity as well. So that's something we can kind of discuss offline. Um, What was the name of the organization? Is it the...
1: The Israel uh, Engineering Association. Okay, it is. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. We basically have a chapter of uh, process safety uh, and we really really want to drive uh, the process safety knowledge uh, and to to make a a better knowledge sharing between the companies. We think that in uh, process safety, we don't have any secrets. So the the more you share, the more you understand the... And basically benefits uh, both sides usually. So, uh, I think it's very important for everyone to to share the knowledge, to share their experience, to share their uh, accidents. Uh, it will really, eventually that uh,
0: saves lives. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of, we had um, Gordon Murray, yes, on um, in episode 131 of the podcast, talking about the Woodpell Association of Canada. And they have sort of this, this motto that you'll hear them repeat at meetings all the time and in their presentations. That that we don't compete on safety. So the the Wood Pell Association of Canada, which is a small group, has come together and said, listen, we're gonna share if our dryer catches fire, if we have an explosion that wasn't successfully isolated, and you know, all these lessons learned. And they're and they're actually as a collective group generating a lot of knowledge. And they just came with a new website. I will find a link before the end of this interview and, and kind of mention it out there, where they've they've been now doing this for four or five years. And it's sort of like you're sharing every Sunday having somebody on doing trainings with us with a small group they've actually developed sort of a world-class resource for wood handling facilities um and you know wood pelts facilities around the world so that's how you do it that it's the power of a small focus group coming together and saying identifying the challenges and trying to find solutions together um just like the engineering associations in israel more so than an overarching you know, mandate to to five thousand companies to say, "Hey, you got to do this." That, that I mean, that that has its place. <laughs> but you know, I, I applaud the effort. I think it's really important. I I I'd like to promote as much as we possibly can.
1: <laughs> uh, I agree, I totally agree. Uh, it's basically the small steps that makes the uh, the big influence.
0: Yeah, I call it what is the the small lever that moves big doors or the small hinge that moves big doors. So you have a giant door. It's really heavy, but if you have the right hinge in one specific location on that door the center of gravity then it can move the entire door so we talked about a couple of solutions here we talked about training and this this really great initiative of this process safety training 15 day day course um, covering a a range of topics for chemical engineers and and sort of other engineering folks we talked about this process safety division i guess of the the engineering association where you're you're getting out you're sharing lessons learned what other kind of you know pass forward or even recommendations from what you've seen work? Do you think would be useful for for us to know? Maybe useful for other folks in other countries. Any any sort of improvements that you can think of or anything you could suggest?
1: Yeah, I, I think the. We well, basically our mission is really to harness the power of technology to prevent uh, accidents, prevent uh, incidents. I think that today we cannot really uh, afford that uh, people who learn from their experience, uh, they think about process safety, explosion prevention, that, that's, not, that's not acceptable anymore. So we basically need to honestly the power of technology. Uh, things like uh, CFD, for example, Flux, for example, as uh, uh, one module of uh, combustible dust uh, uh, simulation that I think basically implementing uh, simulation can can help and promote the uh, process safety. Uh, we need to promote uh, artificial intelligence uh, AI uh, solutions uh, that really would implement the knowledge that was gathered throughout the years and help the you know the safety manager or uh, the process safety manager at. Uh, the most remote uh, facility in the world that it can help uh, have good resources uh, can um, basically gather. I mean, all, all the information is already out there in the world. I mean, it's usually 99.9% uh, uh, of the accidents is not uh, uh, because of uh, new knowledge that was not available uh, in the literature. Uh, most of the accidents are because that. Uh, uh, the persons uh, or the engineers that were in the site uh, were not aware to this uh, knowledge, or that they were not aware how to um, implement the knowledge uh, to to use it to prevent uh, accidents. So I, I think that uh, really, uh, the, the more we will be able to uh, implement technological solution to take the advantage of uh, computer, the more we will be able to. Uh, Basically, do our work, work uh, better.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And there's a lot of interesting pieces in there. And the, the one that comes to mind, and I'll, I'll pull up the, the document while I'm chatting here. Just a couple episodes ago in episode 151. So at the time of this recording, it hasn't been released. I think it comes out next week. I, I posed the question, in North America, you hear a lot about 2008. We had Imperial Sugar Refinery explosion. Chemical Safety Board had just released their dust hazard analysis. We had a series of other explosions and we have what's, what I'm sort of calling the, the most recent renaissance in North America of, of combustible dust awareness and a community approach to understanding combustible dust. So that's good. and it's, But the history is a little important to know. So what I talk about in that episode is when, when do you think the first standards and regulations were published for sugar dust explosions? And it actually turns out that in 1924, there's a, a document called Regulations of the National Fire National Board of Fire Underwriters for pulverizing systems for sugar and cocoa. <laughs> it's almost a hundred years prior to Imperial Sugar, and I'll read just the introduction. And this will be those of you that have listened were were um, a few months after we that will have come out now. So I'll, I'll read it again as a reminder. Introduction: These regulations are issued to eliminate or reduce the hazards inherent in the manufacture of pulverized sugar, particularly the hazard of its ignition and the propagation of a resulting fire essential that there shall be no escape of dust into the atmosphere of the room, a condition favorable to dust explosion and the rapid propagation of fire. Um, that's, a, that's a 1924 document. <laughs> and almost 100 years later, we're saying the most recent renaissance of combustible dust is, is from a sugar dust explosion in North America. I mean, it's the our logo at Dust Safety Science, the, the molecule looking thing is a sugar molecule for in tribute to the lives lost in imperial sugar. Well, just like you're saying we've known for a long time that's a challenge
1: yeah I, I think it's it's got coming back to the uh, process safety knowledge when you're in Google, uh, uh, I mean in the industry when you want to say that uh, we are not a we are a dangerous uh, industry you say we are not a a sugar uh, <laughs> a sugar facility
0: yeah we're not oil and gas
1: <laughs> even yeah. sugar uh, uh, and this comes basically to process safety knowledge because uh, if you handle uh, flour or starch, even, uh, let's say, polyethylene or polypropylene, where you have poly- polyethylene or polypropylene dust, it basically comes to the awareness, because we are talking about uh, uh, incidents with uh, a very low probability and high consequence. And we we can't really uh, afford uh, to have, uh, you know, every 20 years in a different place uh, in the world, uh, uh, explosion that uh, take lives of uh, 14 or 15 uh, people because they were not aware that uh, uh, sugar can explode or to understand that uh, sugar can basically uh, take a building of several floors to the ground it's against uh, you know the common perception uh, and unless you see accidents and uh, learning from uh, uh, losses around the world and sharing the experience, the people would not uh, understand. And this really get, gets back to the auditor, the insurance companies really telling these guys, you, you can, you cannot uh, work like that. And uh, that, that's, I think, the, the most important. And uh, the more insurance auditor, the more regulatory auditor, the, the more uh, experienced and knowledgeable these people would be, we well, basically, we have a, a safer industry.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and uh, I mean, that's why I have, we have a podcast. For, we're talking about combustible dust. It's the same thing, right? Let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the challenges that we're seeing in different parts of the world. Let's talk about everything from the nitty-gritty details of challenges and having too many concrete silos sitting beside each other. How do you invent them to you know the high-level stuff of how do you perform a hazard analysis where different approaches, HAZOPs, LOPA, dust hazard analysis, performance-based, prescriptive design. Let's keep those conversations going. That's really the point of this podcast. And I do applaud you for the work that's going on in Israel. Not not just you, but you and the other engineers that are that are there. And and we actually have a, a couple of them as part of the Dust Safety Academy community that are really active in trying to push the process safety knowledge in combustible dust and and, and other industries as well. So um, keep up the good work there. I appreciate you coming on the podcast to share some of the background with Israel. Any any sort of final words you want to leave the, the listeners off with today?
1: Really, if you can, uh, if you think uh, you have anything that you can uh, share, contribute, experience that you want to share, we would be more than happy to host you with a Zoom meeting or a team meeting. And uh, we are eager that there's a, a big community of uh, process safety engineers that are eager to get the knowledge, get experience from a knowledgeable and experienced uh, process engineer. And whatever you can uh, contribute, we will be more uh, than happy to to hear from you.
0: I couldn't agree more, and I couldn't encourage someone who's interested in that to, to contact uh, Shai, and we'll, we'll have a way to do that again in the show notes. So we'll close out this episode for there. Um, thank you again for the work that you're doing um, in facilities handling combustible dust and other process safety you know challenges and hazards. And certainly thank you for the work that you're doing specifically around organizing and increasing awareness and you know increasing knowledge and understanding they're they're important objectives to to increase safety overall so thank you for that we'll close over this session and appreciate you coming on thank you for having me it was a (laughs) very interesting thanks Shai, and we'll be talking soon so you've been listening to myself dr chris cloney and shai segev and we've been talking about the current status of dust explosion safety in israel we talked through some of shai's background he Started his work in Israel, close to the the Dead Sea, where they have some really interesting characteristics of that region of the world. We'll say and lead some interesting industries that are happening there. He talked about moving on with FM Global, um, getting some process safety specific training, and really coming down this road of of scanning multiple facilities, doing hazard analysis, doing hazops, doing LOPA analysis, other type of process safety initiatives across a, a wide range of industries including many of those handling combustible dust and you made some really important points here folks that see many different facilities and many different ways of doing things are tremendously valuable in any one facility in in providing recommendations and guidance moving forward whether that's an insurance you know auditor or a consultant or uh, you know a, a government official it could be any number of folks really at the end of the day but it's it's value bringing somebody in from the outside to isn't in your bubble or in your jar that can actually read the label and say, "Oh yeah, this this is how you know this might be improved." We talked about him moving on to pharmaceutical industry and and now his current role um, in Israel as well. We talked about the industries that are involved in Israel. Pharmaceutical was a big one, as well as some others. And we talked about the the industry standards relating to bustle dust. So there is a, an industry standard in Israel that allows either. You mentioned that it was IEC um, 679 with some introductory material. And that introductory material also allows you to apply NFPA standards um, in facilities. It is a legal requirement. So it kind of gives you some landscape. And you see how that's different than maybe an approach in the United States, different than approach in Canada, um, and different than approaches you'll see elsewhere in the world as well. It's kind of interesting comparing contrast ones that we talked about on the podcast before. We talked through a number of different challenges. I think we came up with at least five. Training of individuals, so certainly workers, also process safety managers. Then you know, consultants, insurance adjusters, and providers all need different levels of training and understanding. Talk about process safety knowledge, information, and data can be a challenge. Cost cutting in process safety and not realizing you know the, the real cost of of doing that and what that can mean for the bottom line at the end of the day, and also for safety, maintenance over time, and just the speed of knowledge sharing in different regions of the world. Something happens over in. Virginia that has a really important lesson learned that may take quite a long time to get to, to, you know, the far reaches of the world, hopefully a bit faster now with the instant database and the work we're doing at dust safety science and with the dust safety Academy in this podcast. But, you know, there still is some, some latency there. And I, I kind of wrote these things down because it reminded me of a original, the original presentation I did back in 2018 at powder and bulk solids um, in Chicago. Shea was talking almost the same thing. He said, really the, the, it's a four-step process. One, you need to be aware that the hazard's possible. If you're not aware that you have the potential for hazard, then you know nothing's going to happen. After that, you need knowledge and understanding of, okay, well, we're aware combustible dusting explode. How do we fix the problem? That's step two. Step three is, okay, well, we know how to fix the problem now. We really need to be connected with those that can help us. So either testing or explosion protection design or zoning or hazard area classification really a third challenge is okay well are we connected with the right people to help us at the end of the day um, and then the, the fourth step is is actual change so how do we drive change in industry how do we drive change in our spending habits as a company how do we drive change in our maintenance programs and you need all four of those and the challenge can stop at any one of them we're not aware we won't address hazards if we don't have knowledge to say oh yeah that can be really bad you know we may not do everything anything if we if we're isolated and we don't know who to talk to or what company to go to get help that can be a challenge, and if we can't drive change in our culture and drive change in the companies, then we're going to have that stopgap there. We talked about some of the solutions and some of the things that are coming out of, of Israel and elsewhere in the world. Shai mentioned this process safety training, 15-day training that they've developed there for their their chemical and other engineering um, professions, and also this sort of process safety initiative within the engineering associations there where they do things like this these podcasts, do this sort of webinar style presentations every month to share knowledge, share lessons learned. So we'll close out on that. And I would say if you're interested in being involved with that, you're interested in learning more about what Shai is doing, um, or even doing something similar in your region of the world, definitely reach out to him. We'll have his contact information in the show notes, dustsafetyscience.com slash um, 158. As always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. I appreciate everything you're doing and in she's handling combustible dust, making them safer every day with the work that you're doing.